Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a conversation about protecting our planet's precious wildlife from commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures. This is Risha Kota Larson with the Behind the Schemes. And in this episode, we are rescuing pangolins in Zimbabwe with Lisa Highwood, founder of Tiki Highwood Trust. You recently rescued a few pangolins. Can you tell us their stories and also explain how to pronounce their names? Because I'm not even going to attempt it. Um, we have over the last uh, three four months we have received um, some pangolins which basically the story behind these pangolins is that they are confiscated through the Department of National Parks and uh, once they come into the department the department then uh, hands them over to us if they are strong enough and they can be returned to the wild we believe that is the most important thing to happen straight away. Um, if they need rehabilitation, then obviously we keep them at the center and we uh, nurse them back to health. And once they're in good health, then they can be returned. So the first pangolin that we received was Amadika, uh, a female pangolin, adult pangolin. And her name is, uh, the meaning of her name is the beloved one. Um, then the second one that we got was a very mature pangolin, not weight-wise, she wasn't as big as Amadika, but she seemed to be a lot older. Her scales were a lot more worn and they were larger. And we decided uh, because of her nature that uh, she, she was displaying while she was with us, that her name would be Mambokadzi, which means the queen. So the third one is a young male, um, and what we decided to do with this one when it came to his name was to ask the scouts to actually name the pangolin. Now, both um, Amadika and Mambokadzi are very strong names and very um, they've got a lot of ritual behind them in, in the cultural belief in here in Zimbabwe. So the scouts said to us, look, we need to monitor the pangolin and understand what his character is like before we name him. So it was about 10 days after uh, he had been down and been tracked by the scouts and the scouts came back and said, we'd like to um, call him uh, Pukukela, which means not afraid to go anywhere. But when you actually see the spelling of the name, you wonder how on earth am I going to pronounce it? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now we know. <laughs> yes. Great. Um, and he he is going everywhere. It is amazing how what distance that he's traveling. And also what is very interesting is the two females have kind of develop their territories almost next door to each other. Um, so when we released the male, we kind of released him on the periphery of both the two um, boundaries of the of the two females' territory. And he's just taken off in the completely opposite direction and said, there's no ways I'm staying around these women and he's off. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we have to track him very closely and teach him that he actually needs to go towards the ladies and not away from the ladies. <laughs> Now, how is Champ doing? And because uh, he was very tiny when you rescued him, right? 
Yes, he was indeed. And his story has actually just been the most amazing experience. And it's been an unbelievable journey for us who've had the, on, uh, the honor to actually work with him. Um, not only has he gone from strength to strength and at latest weight, which was about an hour ago, uh, he now weighs 9.1 kgs. When we received him, he was 700 grams. Oh my so goodness. that is in a space. Yeah, that that's we got him on the 15th of January to. 2012 and so from January to current date he now weighs 9.1 kgs which is an unbelievable um, sort of a, a milestone in his little life but also for us to have learned so much and since we've had Champ we've actually been involved with three North African rescues of white bellied tree pangolin and because of the success we had with the milk formulas and everything with Champ we were able to pass this information on to the people that we're working with in Sierra Leone and Ethiopia. And both their pangolins have done incredibly well on the same formula. Obviously, they're not as big as, as Champ is right at the moment, but they have survived. So we feel really um, blessed that we've had the privilege to work with Champ. And now his story can go to help other pangolins in Africa. Oh, that's a, that's amazing. And and so um, at the beginning, is he? How do you feed him at the beginning, and then and then uh, how do you get him started on insects? Uh, well, funnily enough, the biggest problem for us when we got Champ because he was so small, I'd never really had to bottle feed a pangolin. And anybody who's worked with a pangolin will know that when you first look at a pangolin's mouth, the whole structure of it is very, very different from any other mammal. But once you get over that initial fear, you you can actually find the the, the opening and get the teeth in. And then once the pangolin starts sucking, you home and dry. But it's to actually get them to suck. That is quite difficult. So with Champ, um, once he got onto the milk formula, I think he had been starved for so many days. He was just so dehydrated. And we were fortunate enough that because of that dehydration and hunger, he came onto the bottle quite readily. Um, the one pangolin that we're working with in Sierra Leone, Paddy, he is not really coming onto the bottle and he suckles out of the hand. Um, so you have to pour the milk formula into your hand and then he will lap out of the hand as opposed to suckle out of the bottle. So we were lucky with Champ. And what happens with a pangolin, the instinct of what their prey is, i.e. ants and termites, is so strong within them that they know exactly what they should and shouldn't eat. The only difficulty if I can put it that way, that we experienced was to give Champ enough time and enough exposure with his, his natural prey species. So Champ has walked between one and three hours every day, one for exercise, but two also for enrichment and to start learning what it is that he's meant to eat and how he's meant to eat. Um, but since we've had Champ, one of the things that we would like to address, and, and we're part of the IUCN SSC Pangolin Specialist Group, um, in Africa, there's no current artificial diet that a pangolin can be sustained on completely without having to be walked on a daily basis. And because we've had such an amazing relationship with Champ, we feel that he's the perfect candidate for us to learn further how we can actually get him to eat an artificial diet. So we're currently working with a dietitian in South Africa and we're developing a pangolin diet, which will be for any rescued pangolin that comes into um, 
in, in a captive environment for a period of time. Um, but the aim with CHAMP is most definitely to release them one of these days. Just recently, when I was feeding Champ and trying to get him onto his artificial diet, I looked into his eye, and when he looked back at me, I just noticed that his eye was looking deep within my soul, and he was communicating just by looking at me. And when I spoke to Ellen, I said, Ellen, come and have a look at this eye. And Ellen is our zoologist here at the Tiki Howard Trust. And I said, what does this eye look like to you? And looked at me and very quickly she just replied this looks like a whale's eye and that gives us an idea of how the mind of this animal works you know a lot of people have done amazing research on whales and we all understand them as being sentient beings etc etc but equally a pangolin is we believe a pangolin is in that same league we've already learned that a pangolin can uh differentiate between one person and another person. They can react when they see themselves in the mirror. Um, these are all similar traits to what people have experienced with the chimpanzees, with gorillas, with dolphins and with whales. And we believe that the pangolin is, is certainly up there with other sentient beings um, that we share this planet with. That's amazing. Pangolins react when they see themselves in the mirror? Yes, very wow. much so. Oh, was it Champ? What did he do? Tell us that story. Well, okay, when, when Champ, well, Champ's quite a, a jealous-natured uh, pangolin, <laughs> I can call him that. So he doesn't like anybody getting involved with the, the, the dynamics between himself and, and myself. Um, so when you, we put a mirror there, he, the first time he looked at it, he rolled as if it was another pangolin and then realized, okay, well, that pangolin hasn't come towards me. So he, start, he put his feet up on, against the mirror and started sniffing to see where that pangolin was. And then you could see he started getting aggressive because he couldn't understand where was this other pangolin. Um, and he showed a, a tremendous amount of aggression towards um, the mirror until we, we took it away and then he kind of walked around and looked around the, the back of the, the mirror the area you know behind the mirror and when he realized there was no new smell then he relaxed and he, he carried on with what he was doing before we showed him himself in the mirror um, but that you know to us that showed us that he actually can uh, he does realize that there is a, a mirror and he can see what is in the mirror amazing wow I mean, who knew? That's absolutely amazing. So that story of Champ just kind of reminds me, a, a lot of times we are reading about situations where sometimes dozens of live pangolins are confiscated um, from wildlife traffickers and then they're rescued. But do you think it's realistic that when these dozens of pangolins are, are rescued, are do you think they're surviving or it, it sounds pretty specialized to take care of uh, pangolins? It most certainly is an incredibly specialized animal and, and that's a very good and relevant question. Um, one of the things that we are doing is when the pangolins come into us, we fit them with a transmitter if they're going to be released. And so every released pangolin is fitted with a transmitter so that we can track that pangolin. And obviously, not only is the territorial area that the pangolin's developing important, but for me, who's been involved with the rescue, rehabilitation and the release, the, the adaptation um, and knowing if and whether these animals can adapt quickly 
from one environment, i.e. in Zimbabwe, let's say we receive a pangolin that comes from the north and we release them in, in, in the south the, the northeast, the prey, the ant species are different from one area of the country to another. So our concern is can a pangolin adapt onto a completely different species of ant and termite if they are relocated from one area to another? And now this um, question, I believe, f flows through to the Asian pangolins. Um, we need to know more about how adaptable these pangolin species are to be you know rescued from one area or even maybe one country i mean chap for instance he's from mozambique he's not even from zimbabwe he is a mozambican pangolin and yet he's been brought up in a, a zimbabwean environment and ultimately he will live off a zimbabwean ant and termite prey species um in our experience and what we're seeing so far risha is that the pangolins do adapt very well okay but i don't believe we've had a, a, a long enough duration of the pangolin being in a new area. So for me, I would only feel comfortable after, say, three to five years of monitoring that pangolin in its new habitat, where it's gone through the complete cycle, i.e. it's gone from um, rescue, rehabilitation to instant release. And then it's also, once it's been released, it's gone from maybe a young pangolin to an adult pangolin. And then if it's a female, it's gone from getting to a new environment to actually breeding and successfully rearing their own young. Because all of that is all going to hinge on the prey species that these animals are being able to, um, to, to eat. And if a mother pangolin is not getting the sufficient quantities and the correct variety of termites, then obviously she's not going to be able to lactate sufficiently and therefore her baby is not going to survive. Hmm. And what is the most surprising thing that you've learned while monitoring the pangolins after their release? For me, I think that the most amazing thing that I've seen are that these pangolins can reach vast distances in a very short period of time. Um, we've had one pangolin that walked 11.4 kilometers in the first night. Oh my now that exactly <laughs> now that's a GPS coordinate. So that is from point A where the pangolin set off to point B where it's now arrived. And the pangolin doesn't walk straight. I don't know if you've ever followed a pangolin, but it no. <laughs> it very much goes from <laughs> it goes from one direction to another direction and then back again and then over the hill and down. You know they don't walk in a straight line. And so if we are um, working out that they're walking between 11.4 kilometers in, in an average evening, it will actually be larger than that, the area that they cover. Wow. Who would have thought yeah. that such a small animal goes so far in one night? Exactly. That, that for me is just amazing. I mean, even with Amadika, we followed her. And in the time that we followed her, she had gone just under two kilometers. And that was in space of not much more than an hour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. oh. Exactly. And you, you don't think that these little animals can actually pick up that speed. And it's not necessarily speed, but it's just kind of an endurance that they have. And they, they can go up things and down, you know, gullies and ravines. Um, you know, when we were following Amadika, on two occasions, I actually had to sit down to actually get <laughs> down the ravine that she had gone down. <laughs> oh my gosh. Are they feeding while they walk or are they going to a place where they can settle down and feed? 
this is something that we still, I, I believe, have to figure out, Risha. Um, I think that the prey species is something that they are looking for. Mm. But like with Amadika, she definitely had uh, developed two areas where we we know that there was sufficient ant um, species there because we could see from her fecal matter the ants that she was eating. So we, we know that the two areas she was in were sufficiently um saturated with ants however she moved out of that area now was she disturbed we actually don't know was it maybe uh, you know when i say predator i.e a hyena or a lion that came sniffing around the burrow where she was um that made her decide to move on we're not totally sure um why a pangolin moves on um and and this is why we're wanting to do a phd study in pangolin starting next year oh wow now, last time we talked, and this is a much less pleasant topic, um, we talked about the pangolins being hunted in Zimbabwe uh, and probably in other areas of Southern Africa for illegal markets in China. What can you tell us about this situation? Um, look, obviously, it's a very concerning um, issue, and I think it affects all of us, uh, not only people here in, in Africa, but obviously the Asian demand is what is, is creating the demand in Africa. So what I think we need to be more aware of in Africa is one of two things. One, we need to know who the people are that we can contact in the different countries from the, the north and the south of Africa to the west and the east. And that's what we trying to develop at the moment is a database whereby we know who to contact in whichever country we get um, any reports from to say, right, this has happened. This is where a large portion of the pangolin are coming from. How, how do we address it within that government? Um, so for us, one of the things is working with the authorities within the different countries of Africa. And then secondly, I think to try and get the people within Asia to understand that their demand is now having an overflow on, on us here in Africa. How do we do that? I don't know. The Asian market is, is only going to increase. And are we ever going to be able to supply them with the demand that they've created? Again, it's the same question that we keep asking with reference to the rhino. And to date, no one has got a sufficient or a successful answer to that question. Hmm. Yeah. The rhinos, uh, the big cats, and now the pangolins. Now, what can people do to get involved and help pangolins in Zimbabwe? What, what could the average person do if they wanted to help these animals and help uh, what it is that you're doing? Well, obviously, one of the things that we still surprised about is that uh, there's very little if at all any pangolin in Africa um, it's not a very gregarious animal and people don't view it with the same passion if I can put it that way say they would with a cheetah or a rhino or a tiger you know you mention those animals or a panda and everyone mm -hmm. goes ah oh, ooh, and makes lovely cuddling sounds and say how can we help when you talk about pangolin, I think a lot of people are confused that a pangolin is a mammal and it is not a reptile. So the first thing I would say is that we need to try and create an awareness as to how important these animals are in the whole ecosystem of life. That would be the one point. And then secondly, wherever people are, if 
they want to try and assist with funding projects for pangolin within Zimbabwe to contact either ourselves or there's now an African pangolin working group which is based in Johannesburg and um, you know, both of, of the two different organizations obviously work together but these two organizations are working um, as hard as we can to try and overcome the issues that we are facing in, in Africa with regards to trying to save the pangolin. Excellent. That's good information to know. Um, when I see a pangolin, I do say ooh and ah, and I make cuddling noises because I think they're pretty adorable. <laughs> Yay. But uh, <laughs> Please but, continue. <laughs> but I know what you mean. A lot of times I'll say pangolin and people will think that I'm saying penguin. No, no, pangolin. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they are they are wonderful animals and and like you said, very important to the ecosystem. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And and it is something that we have to get across to people. I mean, I had somebody here yesterday, um, and they arrived whilst I was feeding Champ. And uh, you know, they actually are involved with with animals. It's not like they were completely foreign to the whole concept of wildlife. And they said, now, what is that? A reptile or a mammal? And I was actually blown away because not only were they an adult, they also work in the wildlife world. And there was here we are in the, in the year 2012, and I'm being asked a very simple question of, well, is it a reptile or is it a mammal? And I, I was horrified. Oh, my gosh. Well, thanks so much, Lisa, for talking to us again about uh, pangolins, and congratulations on the rescues of these pangolins. Wow, that is good news. Well, thank you, and thank you for your interest and your support. It's, it's really appreciated, and we need more people like you supporting Pangolin throughout the world. Oh, well, you're more than welcome, and keep up your fantastic work. You've been listening to Rescuing Pangolins in Zimbabwe with Lisa Highwood, founder of Tiki Highwood Trust. This is Risha Kota Larson with Behind the Schemes.